Hello and welcome to MetaStation Part 2 Claren Edition. This is me. I am Sachin Sahil. Uh, I'm an actor on the show The 100 with uh, viewers listening to this podcast might know about. Um, I'm here today to interview the people who interview the cast, the people who know the cast, the people who delve deep and get really intricate with our lives and our questions. And it's time that we dwell deep and get very intricate into their lives. Ladies and gentlemen, Claire and Aaron. Hello. <laughs> Hello. Hello. And this is part two. I don't know if y'all uh, heard part one. It was a barn burner. It was a good two and a half hours <laughs> of us learning about Claire and Aaron and their, and, and their, their crazy, um, uh, they have very awkward moments with celebrities at times. <laughs> <laughs> They, they've directed plays, they've written books, they're, they're teaching classes. These ladies do it all, and uh, that's why we needed a part two here. That's right. <laughs> also, so just, we got some fun. Uh, this, is, this is the part where we're going to use all those questions that you sent individually to me and Claire to ambush each other. Uh, with embarrassing slash funny questions. Oh. So. oh, we got surprises. Oh, yes. We got surprises. <laughs> we got, we're giving away cars. We're giving away iPads. <laughs> we got things you've never seen before. Look under your chair. We got in your house let's, somehow. And there's a prize. And Aaron, let's make a deal. Woo! <laughs> <laughs> All right. All right. We'll just jump right into this we're gonna go back and forth we have plenty of questions here for the both of y'all but i think what we're gonna do is we're gonna do it individually by uh we can take turns so we're gonna start with claire claire All we right. have to you from robin at robin jeffrey yes my question is for claire please shamelessly plug your book i clearly know nothing about it i definitely know nothing about book two <laughs> now we talked lots about uh, a bit about meta uh, about um the rewind files on the first podcast but like let's Give it a good plug. Like if you ask me to sell the hundred, like you always do, I want you to sell, <laughs> sell readers on rewind files. Okay. Um, so thank you, Robin. Um, uh, I'm, I'm really bad at talking. People are like, what are you, what is your book about? And I just kind of start like reciting the plot to them. Like I'm, I'm a very bad, like, I'm a good like marketing person for other people's stuff, but I'm like, I struggle with it when I'm like, here's my own thing. But um, basically, so the Rewind Files is a, um, uh, kind of, uh, feminist comedy, uh, time travel science fiction adventure that is the story of a young woman named Reggie Bellows, who's like a junior desk agent, kind of wonky computer nerd, um, at the U.S. Time Travel Bureau about 150 years from now. Um, and she's kind of like a low level government bureaucrat computer desk girl. And her mom is the director of the time travel bureau and they have a very complicated, you know, sort of legendary mother, scrappy slacker daughter kind of, you know, push pull relationship. Uh, and Reggie accidentally one day stumbles upon kind of a map, what she thinks is like a mathematical glitch that she unravels to realize that this huge war between the U S and China that in her universe happened in the 1980s was in fact um, a a chronomaly, such as favorite word, a oh, um, God. <laughs> a um, a glitch in the timeline that wasn't supposed to happen that sort of indicates that a time travel agent uh, interfered with the timeline on purpose, and so she gets sent back 
to the 1970s to go undercover in Nixon's White House um, as a junior secretary on her very first ever field mission. And uh, and she never wanted to do field work. She doesn't like talking to people. She doesn't really like people that much. She's kind of misanthropic um, and kind of clueless and clumsy and nerdy and has to bumble her way through the 1970s. And she essentially sort of accidentally causes Watergate to happen. So she lives in a world <laughs> where like um, the kind of premise of the book was like, what would the world be like if like if Nixon's secrets never got out, if Nixon like served out two full terms and everyone kind of thought he was sort of just like a vanilla middle of the road president and no one ever found out the magnitude of like all of the crazy shit that he did, how would history kind of have gone sideways? Um, so, uh, so she's, you know, on the run in the 1970s hunting for like a rogue time travel agent and trying to figure out the source of this conspiracy. And so there's a lot of like action and adventure, but there's also, uh, you know, she's got her own kind of little like rebel squad of like, you know, agent helper buddies. And she's got this really complicated sort of bickery relationship with her mom. Um, and she has a very kind of complex relationship with her, her dad who died before she was born, um, on location, like on a, on a time travel field mission that went wrong. And he's kind of become this like national myth and, uh, and she's never met him. And, and so there's a lot of like, kind of lots, lots of family feels, um, lots of found family feels as she kind of like assembles this rebel squad to like help her kind of take down this conspiracy. And, um, and yeah, and, and it also, because it's, you know, time travel is a cool way to explore issues of things like, race and gender. So like, how does traveling to the 1970s, you know, how does culture and society look to her, somebody who's from 150 years in the future and thinks everything is like so primitive. And, um, one of you know, the most and, hilarious parts of the early part of the book is when the first time Reggie has to wear a pantyhose. Oh she's yeah. Like, she's like confronted <laughs> with like pantyhose and all this sort of like, <laughs> like ladies, um, you know, like a girdle and yeah, <laughs> yeah they had there's a like whole horrified. like horrified <laughs> there's like a whole um i was trying to sort of think about like like if like if time travel actually existed and was a government bureau like what are yeah. all of this sort of like um all of the aspects of going that go into that that we wouldn't necessarily think of and so i thought like okay so of course there's like there's like a props and wardrobe department right like there's somebody who yeah. has to come over and like you know and fit you for like period clothing and so she's got this like you know, these people in her apartment kind of rifling through her clothes and insulting everything and being like, okay, here is like, you know, like here's a masterclass on how like bras in the 1970s and bras in the 1940s and bras in 1872 all fit differently and make your clothes fit differently. And so you have to wear, and like this whole kind of like performative femininity that she has to take on, you know, going back in time. And she's kind of like a jeans and a sweatshirt girl. Yeah. And so she's sort of like, why do I have to have like, like she can't put on makeup. She's like a whole like diagram schematic of like, here's what you do with eyeshadow. Um, <laughs> so, uh, so that, and then, you know, and then it's sort of feeling like, like the, like uncomfortable all the time, you know, she has to wear high heels and she's playing the part of this like Republican, you know, heiress junior secretary. So she has to like, um, behave in a certain like kind of buttoned up way. She's like working for John Dean in the white house counsel's office and has this kind of like tyrannical, you know, senior secretary boss who's always kind of riding her. And um, so, yeah, but there's a lot of stuff about just kind of how she like assimilates to um, participating in this, in this sort of culture that is just like alien to her. Um, so yeah. yeah. So I just, I, I think she's a lot of fun. Um, she's kind of like a, you know, it's a little bit like 
I don't know, John McClane is the wrong comparison, but like, you know, like in action movies, it's always really fun when you have someone who's like a completely normal person who gets shoved into some situation where they have to do. Let's just call her John McFly. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> John <laughs> McFly. Yes. 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 Um, so I, uh, yeah, so I, that's what I kind of like about, about Reggie is she's, she's the kind of person who like, you know, she's a 25 year old girl who works in front of a computer all day, like rolls into work in sweat and then goes home and like watches tv on the couch with no pants on drinking a beer and that's like her whole life um and and then suddenly her mom is like okay so you have to go to the 1970s and go undercover and work for nixon and figure out how to stop a war and save 56 million people and she's like uh thanks mom yeah no pressure Uh, so yeah so that's that's the kind of basic yeah exactly legit that's fantastic like i i Everybody pick up that book right away because <laughs> that sounds like the most like intriguing, interesting thing I've ever heard. I just want to hear the end. I want to know what happens. And the fact that there's another more coming just makes me already excited to read the first one. Because you know when you read a book and you're like, oh, this is the end of it? The fact that I can read this knowing full well we got another one coming is very exciting. Yes. yes. Well, that's when I was writing it. We talked a little bit about like how to make sure that the ending was like resolved the story but also was left sort of open-ended enough that like we could pick up another book from there if we wanted to. So, um, but yeah, so, and I'm, and, and I don't want to tell anyone anything too much about book two. We talked about it like a little bit last time, but I don't want to give Robin any spoilers. So something's got to be done about your kids, Marty. Something's got to be done about your kids. (laughs) Doc back up with, we don't have enough road to get to 88 roads Roads. where we're going. We don't need roads. Oh, great. That's that's what I'm expecting the end of it to be. So <laughs> I'm very I, excited. I had never seen the Back to the Future trilogy until I went to visit Aaron and Jordan last fall and we like watched the whole thing. And last, I was like, this is wait, wait, great wait, 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 time wait. travel shit. No, I know. Last fall? Yeah. Yeah. It was November. You, came to you write the rewind files before you watched Back to the Future? I, yep. I hadn't seen no, I like all of all of my new like my now kind of favorite time travel stories are things that I encountered after because I also hadn't seen Lost. You're and like a prodigy. I know. I just like <laughs> yeah. So now I'm like I was like oh my god like like time like like both Lost and Back to the Future and how they handle kind of the cyclical nature of time travel in their stories. I was like ooh I love that. But like I I had not experienced either of those before I saw the show. <laughs> oh my god. Yeah. That's insane because you basically yeah. wrote like you there's. It sounds like a lot of parallels and a lot of uh, uh, Back to the Future callouts in that book without actually watching. Like accidentally, yeah, yeah, completely yeah. accidentally. I'm That's really, when you know it's good. Even even to the point where, like, in the the kind of like, you know, the the there isn't really like a love a central love story in the Rewind Files, but insofar as there is a kind of love story, it's in a lot of ways mostly about the parents, mm-hmm. and they're like great. great love for each other. Yeah, that yeah. was lost. Yeah. Yeah. Unreal. Yeah. All right, everyone pick up the Rewind Files <laughs> yes. because we're going to have a podcast in like a month or two yep. and y'all are not going to know what we're talking about yep. if you don't read yep. the Rewind Files. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Boom. All right, question for Aaron from uh, Natalia H. at Cosita Pudor. Dear Professor Aaron, <laughs> hi. I'm Natalia and I'm from Chile. I'm a big fan of your work. I do want to ask about Jane Austen because I never – had to read any of her books in schools, so I read them all after, and now I'm in a book club, and I love them so much. So what would you say is the importance of Austin's work in today's literature? Good question. Ooh, that's, it's a big question. Um, 
like, I think there's like a lot of ways to answer that question. I teach a class, uh, which is really fun, which is, um, the second half of the class is just all about, uh, looking at adaptations of Pride and Prejudice. So we like read Pride and Prejudice and then we watch a, like a whole bunch of movie versions and we read a, a sort of novel, uh, it's not really an adaptation, but there's a novel, a recent novel called Longbourn, which is actually like, it's, it's sort of happens um simultaneously as the Pride and Prejudice story, but it's the story of um one of the servants in the yeah. Bennett household, which is it's really good. But um so I think like on the one hand there's a kind of like way where um and I'm I'm definitely like this is something that's other people have observed many times, not my personal insight, which is that uh the kind of origin of the the classic romantic, like romance novel, rom-com plot is basically, basically like starts with Jane Austen and Pride and Prejudice. So like so much, yeah. you read those books and they feel really familiar. And I think it's because that's like the kind of like the original version of the story that we like see everywhere and, and, you know, read and watch over and over. And I think, so there's something, there's something like so kind of like deeply like, relatable about that story. And I, you know, and I don't even know exactly what it is. I mean, there's, I think there's something about the idea that like someone out there like loves you and thinks you're the best and you don't even know it, you know, like there's something about yeah. the kind of like the, the, the relationship is where you sort of like have to have two people. You have someone that, that, you know, like someone that sees something in you that you don't even realize they see. And then on the other hand, someone that like you sort of, you know, that, that kind of reveals depths about themselves that you didn't know were there, which is really appealing. Um, but I actually think that like, honestly, the thing about, I think about, there's a kind of like overlooked aspect or somewhat overlooked aspect of Austin, which, uh, is like a huge part of it, which is that like, she has like this, such a deep understanding of, of like people of like psychology and then also human nature absolutely human yeah. nature and then also but also just like and this is one of those things that she gets you know that like people who don't like Jane Austen this is the thing they also ding her for I think which is that like yeah her books are about uh, uh just they're like they're quote unquote just about you know like a small group of people in like a relatively confined social space and them trying to like navigate that social world and figure out issues of basically like money and love and marriage. Yep. Um, yep. So like on the one hand, like in some ways, like the, that's something that gets called small because it's like small in the case of like, well, it's just like a few people in a village. It's not like war. It's not like grand events or whatever. But on the other hand, there's like, she is so keenly attuned to the ways that people the ways that human beings operate, you know, in that tiny with, space. With each other and they react to each other and they become the true versions of themselves. Exactly. Almost. Yeah. And yeah. Like, and in good and bad, you know, you think about yeah. like, like Pride and Prejudice. Like one thing I love about teaching Pride and Prejudice, the novel, you know, and that class is really interesting because it's like, you know, it's got Jane Austen in the title. So like I have a lot of, you know, it's almost always in, almost it's like vast majority girls. Last time I talk, taught it, I had six guys and that's the most guys I've ever had in that class. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but uh you know, so I always have like some people who, who sign up for it, who are like, they've seen that Kira Knightley version a million times. They're there because they love it. You know, they may or may not have read the novel. Um, and I really love sort of like teaching the novel to them and, and taught and like, and you know, to me, the thing that's most important about 
um, about Pride and Prejudice as a story is like, or, or the, the Elizabeth Darcy love story. To me, the thing that is like the key thing about those two people is that it's a story about two people who through their encounter with each other, learn to see themselves more clearly, like understand themselves more fully and more clearly, both in terms of the good aspects of themselves and the bad. And that the thing that makes them like the sort of ideal couple, the thing that brings them together, certainly in like most explicitly in Elizabeth's case, but also in Darcy's is that literally like they are so grateful to each other for, for what, for like, what they each learned from each other and how it was able to make them like genuinely, truly better people by sort of like exposing their shortcomings and their, you know, their like their blind spots. And that's the thing they love about each other is like, I was never, I was blind to the ways that I was limiting myself and I was, you know, like not the person I wanted to be until you came along, you know, and forced me to see it. And like, that's the thing that's most important to me is not like, you know, they're so sexy, you know, like she's so beautiful. She's not, you know, like Elizabeth is like explicitly the, she's not the most beautiful girl, you know? And like Darcy, yeah. is, Darcy's a jerk. Like he's just kind of a snob. He's not very pleasant, you know? Like yeah. it's not that they sort of meet each other and it's like love at first sight, which is the way it often gets played in the movies. And that but it shows of- that you get like attracted to certain people that you have a disposition towards, not necessarily the best people that are the best for you, but yeah. like people that, you know, that you're, you have a disposition that you're attracted to. Yeah, and I exactly. think that was the honesty of it. She was just so, you know, uh, she had so much honesty in the, what she was writing, you know, cause she's writing like, it's like a, a social commentary slash love story yeah. slash human condition. And I think I, it was important that like, uh, she, I always felt the characters, like you said, it was a good point that you said, like these characters out of nowhere felt something like the amount of surprise that you felt in each of these characters as they were happening. It felt like yeah. nothing was telegraphed, you yeah. know? Yeah. Yeah. They were both just sort of like, holy crap, what's happening? <laughs> Everything was <laughs> like, oh my God, this is happening. Wait, oh no, now this is happening. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You know, and I think, and I think it's like really, you know, it's like such a brilliant novel because if you look at, um, you know, the sort of like smack dab, it's like, it gets talked a lot about as a perfectly plotted mo- uh, novel. It's like smack dab in the middle of the novel is when, um, Elizabeth gets a letter from Darcy and she sort of has a moment. She says, until this moment, I've been blind, you know? Yeah. Um, and if you go back and you look at the, if you reread the first half of the novel from that point, you know, um, which has been mostly like identified with Elizabeth's point of view, you can see all along the ways that Elizabeth is telling herself. She's smarter than all the other people around her. She's more clever. Yeah. But she yeah. has the exact same prejudices that they do. She's operating the exact same way. She, you can see all the leaps of logic that she makes about who Darcy must be because, because he insult, she felt insulted by him in the first, the first time they met. You know, the ways that she's just yeah. like automatically, like, like the, when she first meets, Wickham, you know, that party and Wickham sits down next to her and is like, so, you know, Darcy. And she's like, yeah, but I don't like him. And then he immediately starts talking shit. I'm like, every time I teach that, I'm like, raise your hand if you have ever been in a situation like this. And they all raise their, like, we have all known that person where you're like, they sit down and they're like, do you know this person? You're like, yeah, I don't like them. And immediately they're like, oh, let me tell you a story about how they're the worst, you know? And you're like, ooh, this is great. I love you. And I'm like, you know, sorry, sorry, go ahead. No, I was going to say, and I was like, and you guys, like, if you, if you don't know yet, you know, like, so I was in my class, like, never trust that person. Like, learn yeah. from Lizzie's, like, this is a universal lesson. Like, I know this was written in, you know, 200 plus years ago, 205 years ago now, but that is still true today. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And they just did a study that I read, actually, I think it was a couple months ago that um, talking shit 
releases serotonin in your brain with somebody because it feels like yeah. you're connecting with somebody. Yep. So you, you, the reason why people who talk shit continually talk shit is because it's like they get a happy boost of, of, uh, of serotonin in their mind when they do it because you feel like you're connecting with someone in a certain way. Yep. That's just not the best way to connect with somebody. Talk about rainbows. Yeah. <laughs> talk, about, talk about Back to the Future or the Rewind Files. Yeah, yeah. Don't talk shit. Exactly. And it can be literally addictive, you know, because you get yeah. that rush, you know, and you get, and you, and it, it creates a feeling of community because you're sort of like, we're together in this and we're against them, but it's yep. not real. You know, it's really not real. And the it's more not. that you experience it, you know, like the, this is something that I like, I remember in college, not, you know, like, I've been through cycles of this and now I'm, you know, almost 36 and it's like, okay, now I can look at it and be like, aha, this is what always yeah. happens. This is why you yeah, don't, yeah. you know, like a, a, a relationship based on hating the same people is not actually a, like a, a solid relationship really, mm-hmm. <laughs> like, yeah. you know? So, um, but I think like, it's like, like that is un- ultimately, I think like in a lot of ways, like that's what Lizzie's story is about is learning that yeah. lesson, which like, mm-hmm. again, is one of those things like from one, you know, like sort of snobby point of view, you can be like, well, that's like, whatever, that's like a small little thing. But on the other hand, it's like, it's fucking like, we all live that, you know, like it's eternally relatable. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. She's um, writing a contemporary Shakespeare ish, you know, like the yeah. way she's doing with human relationships. I mean, it's, and it's less, she took the drama a little down to make it more honest and more real. And yeah. uh, I think that's that's why she's accessible to the yeah, masses. You know? I agree. She's also a, a lady, I think in class, I don't know, it was just me, but I was like, I loved her work. And I think it showed for the first time that like, people have this idea that if a women writer, for example, can't make something that dudes will like. Yeah. And that mm-hmm. she was one of the first people that showed the difference to that, that you can have somebody of the opposite sex write for somebody of the opposite sex and have them like it. You know, it's not yeah. like, a, oh, guys have to read guys, girls have to read girls. No, no, no. This is an accessible human, uh, this is accessible human emotion to everybody. It's the mm-hmm. same thing across the board. And that's cool. And I think she she's one of the people that definitely early on proved that false. Yeah, absolutely. Probably, probably when it was more difficult for her to do it. Oh, absolutely. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. Um. So, yeah. So she's, she's she, just like one of the most genius students of... Genius. Genius. (laughs) Indeed. (laughs) That's the first pun of the night, ladies and gentlemen. I'm I'm quite ostentatious this morning. Here we go. (laughs) (laughs) Wait, wait, okay. This is your interview. I'll I'll leave it at that. (laughs) Question number two for Claire from Danisam at Sam's Jazz FF. When Rewind Files becomes a TV show or movie, what is a scene you are most excited about seeing come to life off the page? Um, oh man, I, um, I would have to say, um, let's see, <laughs> trying to, trying to carefully avoid spoilers for such an, yeah, um, thank there, you. There's, there's two that I think, um, that I can talk about non-spoilery just because they be, um, they're very visual kind of in, in my head. Um, one is there's a couple of different points in the book where the kind of, um, the, the sort of the two big historical moments that are part of the story. One is Watergate, which is, uh, which is obvious. And then the story also spends a lot of time, um, in South Africa at the Sharpville massacre, which is one of the kind of turning point moments in apartheid. And, um, there's several different places in the book where the story kind of jumps back there. And, um, and it was, it was like a, it was a real life historical thing that happened. And I kind of latched onto it as sort of the origin point of the book because I was really interested in like, 
moments in history where something happened where like a massive, huge thing resulted from like one teeny tiny human action where you're like the place where you're like, that could totally be time traveler interference, you know? Yeah. So, um, so what happened in Sharpville was uh, the Sharpville was a township in South Africa under apartheid. This is like in the 1960s and the 1950s. And, um, and to protest the, the sort of repressive government regime of apartheid, um, all of the black citizens of Sharpville decided um, they sort of were going to do this big, you know, peaceful, nonviolent protest um, and all kind of go to the police station on the same day, the whole entire basically county um, and turn in their passbooks. If you're a black South African, you had to have your ID on you to pass through any white owned neighborhood or district. And, and so if they all basically turned their ID cards in, they couldn't leave their villages, which means like the, you know, factories would shut down, no one could go to work. And so it was sort of, a, it was like an economic protest basically, but like totally nonviolent. Um, yeah. So, so like 5,000 people are going to show up and they're at this like little, you know, shack in the desert. That's the like, that's the police station. Um, and something happened and no one kind of quite knows what, like what it was, but the protest ended up sort of swelling to like, 20,000 people. There's this like huge, huge crowd outside and they're, you know, they're singing protest songs. It's kids and grandmas and people on people on bikes. Um, and we put like three white cops, you know, facing this whole sort of sea of, of African, uh, people. And, um, and they, and from within the crowd, somebody, and like, they have no idea what happened, like who it was. Um, somebody threw a rock and the rock hit the tin roof of this police station and some trigger happy racist ass white cop thought it was a gunshot and they started firing and within 60 seconds like 75 people were dead and um and it was so i sort of latched onto it as like you know the sort of horrible incredibly intense moment in history that ended up being kind of a sea change in the apartheid movement like this huge yeah. Kind of, it was so dramatic, it was so awful that it really kind of opened people's eyes up to what was happening in South Africa. Um, and but it's like this kind of big visual, sort of cinematic moment, and it ends up being woven in a couple of different ways into um, Reggie's story because that's how her father died. He was a time travel agent that was sort of sent there to fix a glitch, and he gets shot by a cop um, trying to protect a kid. And um, and so that's probably just in terms of like. Um, the the there isn't really like a sort of like big climactic battle scene in in the you know in the book there's a lot of like Reggie kind of jumping around through history and doing stuff but like that's probably like visually I would think like the moment that would really kind of jump off the screen you know like in widescreen is like that just sort of the scope of that and like having it on location so you're like out in the desert and you feel that like heat and all that kind of stuff um so I would say probably that one and then also there's a scene that takes place at the Lincoln Memorial that I really like that. I feel like just the visual of the Lincoln Memorial being there in that moment for that conversation um, would be really cool. So I guess the, like the, the location stuff, the stuff where you're like out in the world, I think would be really awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Where you get to like actually see things that are there and, and, and uh, have her affect them almost. Not that yeah. I know yet. I tried to not listen to that whole thing. <laughs> I, 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 if you asked me a question about it, I could not know. <laughs> But it sounded epic. Yes, uh, it is quite epic. Erin, uh, question two. Um, from Dana Sam, wait, Sam's Jazz. Ooh, she's, she's all over the place. Yeah. Uh, so you and many of us associate you with a cute, bespectable sloth. <laughs> <laughs> is one 
is is one that what you see your Patronus animal as? If not, what is it? And two, what do you think Claire's is? Claire's Patronus. That's ah, great. Ooh, that's a good one. Um, <laughs> yeah. I, I'm actually like sort of torn. Um, I think that Natalie I, and Brulia. <laughs> yes. Uh, I think that actually my Patronus would be a badger. Um, because mm. I'm a Hufflepuff and also I'm from Wisconsin. Um, so just like badger is like, I just, I just identify a lot with badgers. And then also badgers are sort of like a little bit, you know, they're sort of like, they're slow. They sort of trundle around. They do their thing unless you cross them and then they can be very fierce, which I feel like is something that's true of me. Um, but, Ooh. but, uh, but sloth, I really love sloths and I feel like. I feel like actually sloth might be more accurate, uh, Patronus. As for Claire, um, so, uh, the, the official test, I believe, gave Claire <laughs> a mole as her Patronus. Yep. <laughs> I'm still not over it. Yeah. Uh, which is pretty hilarious and arguably kind of accurate. Um, I know, that's why I'm. Mad. Yeah, yeah, it sort of works. But I don't know that I would pick... I don't no, know. moles know how to escape. It's just a metaphor. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I don't know that I would actually pick that for Claire. Um, I think... You know, I'm going to say... And this is going to sound... I, I So... I'm picking this animal because they they live in sort of like very tight knit social matriarchal social groups. Okay. Um, they're very like sort of they have these like strong relationships of of like of like female groups and they like are very intensely attached to each other and very protective and and um, so I'm gonna say elephant and that's why I say awesome. and also like super awesome. intelligent super and intelligent. like. When they see another, you know, elephant, like, body, if, even if they didn't know them, they sort of stop and mourn. And, like, so, like, Claire is so, <laughs> Claire is so loving and her heart is so huge. And she's, like, such, you know, she's, like, the ultimate mom, you know, like, fan mom. She just, like, gathers yeah. little babies of all ages around her to take care of. And so yeah. I would say, I would say definitely <laughs> elephant for Claire because of that. That's the greatest compliment. That's, that's really. One the, that's one of the best animals on the planet. I, it absolutely so sweet. is. Yeah, I love that. I like it a lot better than mole. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I yes. Yeah, I, yeah. I mentioned it as great. It's funny. <laughs> I don't. I don't know how many options they had in that Patronus thing. I think they just threw that thing together. Uh, oh yeah. Very like weird and lazy. And they like it was so bizarre because they had things like mole, which is like what the hell. And then they had like eighteen different types of cat. It was like black cat or Manx cat or like right. tabby cat. And you're like, they're all just cats. Like, why yeah. does it matter what color they are? <laughs> that's, that's, there are so many animals on the planet. You need two cats tops. Right. Exactly. Maybe. Yeah. Like a domestic cat and like tiger. You know, like one yeah. domestic sure. cat exactly. and one like yeah. wild cat. Okay, fine. Exactly. Like, you couldn't come up with. Yeah, it was just weird. Yeah. <laughs> what, what do we do next? Hmm. How about another cat? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> no. What well, about saw... like a, what? A, what about like an eagle? Nah, nah, nah. Let's do cat. Well, I saw <laughs> the, the list. They published a list of thing on Buzzfeed or something. Like somebody found the list of like here's all the different animal options. And here's why I'm extra mad that I got a mole is because they also <laughs> had like 
like every like every canon species of dragon was on yeah, there and yeah. like hippogriffs, like all like the like Potterverse like fictional animals were in there too. And I was like, I could have been a dragon, but instead I'm a mole. <laughs> Thank you, JK Rowling. No, it's glitchy. That thing is glitchy it's, for yeah, sure. I don't I, I don't I don't think I know one person that's happy with their Patronus. No. Yeah. I also yeah. I also uh, their their uh new house sorting is also very glitchy, I think. I don't I don't agree with it. They have a new house sorting? Yeah, it came out like last year or sometime or something. It's just like it's a mess. Like no one gets you know, no one gets I right love house. I love Harry Potter, I love Pottymore, JK Rowling is a genius and I love her very much. But you can't like re have a re house sorting. That hat, they're not changing the hat. Yeah, yeah. It's the same damn hat. Just the same one damn hat. hat. Yep. I'm not about it. I'm not about just to just to get more like uh more people on there. No, we yeah. stick with the original. I'm an old school guy. I want that hat on my head. I want it to smell yeah. bad and tell me where I'm going. Exactly. Which should be like, I take a quiz and it's I'm a Gryffindor. Okay. I was going to say. Yeah. Yep. Nice. Thanks guys. <laughs> I I I either was a Gryffindor or a Slytherin for sure. Yeah. Or, <laughs> I would say yeah. Gryffindor. But that's very that's like this, that's the Harry Potter thing, right? He could have been Gryffindor or Slytherin. So there you go. Yeah, yeah, that's very true. I, I probably have a lot more Hufflepuff than I than I like to um, announce, but I definitely have a lot of Hufflepuff in me. So like, yeah. I think it's, it's, a, it's a blend of everything. I don't yeah. know who, who am I. Somebody tell me. And I have a black cat Patronus. So that's just. Right. <laughs> what was uh? What was your Patronus, Aaron? Oh, mine. Uh, I think I think I think I'm gonna stick with Badger. No, on on oh, Pottermore. Oh, on, on Pottermore. Uh, it was some kind of cat. I don't remember nice. which one. I think maybe Manx cat. And I and I just remember being like, uh, what? Okay, it's a really a, specific a blue cat. cat. Yeah. Right. Exactly. I got, I got blue cat. <laughs> <laughs> Come on, guys. Okay. <laughs> Next question is for Claire. Um, question three from Meg at. Pegasus underscore writer. Pegasus would be a great Patronus. Yes. Claire, what scene in the Rewind Files are you most proud of? Um, I think, um, I think I would, the scene that I feel came out the most, like exactly like this is how it was in my head and, and that I hear from a lot of people is the part that kind of, I guess, um, struck them the most is it turns out specifically like I think a lot of other people's favorite scene um is the Lincoln Memorial scene and um and so sort of non non-spoilery synopsis for um uh for Sachin but but it's the first um it's the first real kind of look that we get into Reggie's relationship with Carter as they're kind of like meeting and becoming friends and and it's where they kind of have where she kind of first unpacks how she feels as somebody from the future about how kind of like, you know, racist and sexist and backwards and weird she finds, you know, she finds this world that she's in in the 1970s. And, um, and so it was a place where I, I was sort of exploring a lot of the ideas that I was really interested in exploring with this book about like having, how to have a really honest conversation about um, privilege and about um all the different sort of vectors of, of prejudice that she's kind of encountering for the first time. And, and Carter, you know, who's been, you know, like, who's also a time travel agent and is a black man who's living in the 1970s saying to her, like, these things look new to you because like in the world that you're from, you were kind of sheltered from that stuff. And Mm -hmm. now you're seeing it because it's like, 
it's 1970 and it's right in front of your face because you're a white woman walking out after dark with a black man and everyone's staring at you. So now you're like, you can't ignore it. But like in her time, and this is not a spoiler, but this is just sort of a, a, you know, a a factor of that again, in trying to sort of make the world of time travel realistic was I felt like I didn't want a doctor who it, you know, where you have like Martha walking around Shakespeare's time and everyone's like, Oh, hi. You know, like I felt like, I felt like you had to kind of take, things like race and gender on face value. And and so it made sense to me that there would be some basement of government bureaucrat lawyers somewhere deciding that like the liability risk on the bureau is too high to send like say to send a Japanese American agent to World War II or to send a black agent to the Civil War. Like that there would be yeah. sort of a a um a strata of like based on safety risk to agent. Um, so based on kind of like a, a kind of benign internalized racism, um, restrictions on where agents of color can go and also on where women can go. And so you get kind of a numerical ranking. And if you're like a an Anglo, you know, presenting blonde white guy, then you're a level one and you can get placed anywhere. And so there's little moments kind of throughout the book where like there's a girl who was an intern with Reggie who's Asian and she like declared a major for like she wanted to work in World War Two and they wouldn't let her. Um, and, and so Carter wanted to work for Abraham Lincoln. Like that was what he went through time travel school for. That was the period of history that he was interested in. He wanted to be a field agent in the Lincoln administration. And he was like, I think a level six, even though his grades were better than Reggie's and she's a level two. So, so the way they kind of talk about like, um, the the entrenched systems that exist in her time that because she's you know not just because she's the white girl but she's also like the daughter of the president of the time travel bureau so she sort of exists in this kind of rarefied sphere um and and she gets called out you know by this person that she's becoming friends with who has this completely different set of life experiences than her um about you know like this is this is new to you because you're seeing it in like in history for the first time but also like so sort of like, like showing her like, here, like, here's things that you're missing, you know? And, um, but it's also where he's the first person that she can kind of open up to about like, you know, she sent on this huge major, like change the world mission. And he's the first person to whom she feels like she can really say like, I don't know if I can do this, you know? Um, like, so, so their, their relationship is, is so important to the book and, and Carter, just as a character, he's just like, he's so dear to me. I just like, I love him so much. Um, but I love that scene because, you know, like they're walking around the reflecting pool and walking around the Lincoln Memorial and, um, which is one of my favorite, you know, places in the world. And, um, so it's very sort of shaped by like the atmosphere that they're in and, um, and the reverence that they both have for Lincoln and for Lincoln's words and, and having this big conversation about, um, their identities. And their, you know, relationships to the world that they come from in the future and this world that they're sort of visiting in the past and this kind of monumental, um, terrifying task that they have to perform and like save all of these people. And, um, and it's where Reggie kind of first really starts to see the people in the 1970s as like, as actual human beings. Um, so that's probably the part that I'm, I would say I'm the most proud of that I feel like it really kind of came out on the page, like, yes, this is exactly kind of how I wanted it to be, to be received. Yeah. Awesome. That's sweet. That's always like, that's the dream. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Unreal. I can't wait. I cannot wait to read it. A <laughs> <laughs> uh, question for me for Aaron from, uh, De- uh, ooh, from Dennis Sam at Sam's Jazz FF. 
Aaron, of all the authors you read, which one would you love to meet and shoot the breeze with? And which one would you never want to meet, even if you were paid a million dollars? Honestly, I would not want to meet the vast majority of authors that I work on. Uh, <laughs> I don't work on them because I particularly, uh, you know, love them as people. Um, uh, which one would I want to shoot the breeze with? Um, you know, honestly, uh, there's this, there's a, an author from the middle of the 18th century, um, named Mary Leeper, and she's not very well known. Um, she was, she died when she was 24, um, and her poetry is only published posthumously. And she was a working class woman. So she was the daughter of a gardener and she was basically like, a servant in a, in a sort of wealthy household. I think she worked in the kitchen some and she did some other things. Um, and, uh, she wrote, you know, a bunch of poetry before she died and she was, she became friends with this woman who was a sort of the daughter of the man who owned the household that she worked in for a while who gave her, so this woman sort of like gave her access to the library and they were friends and she encouraged her in writing. And this was a period in history. So this would have been like the 1740s. Um, there was a kind of like fad for, uh, working class writers. There's a guy named Stephen Duck who was a farm, farm laborer. And he wrote this poem called the thresher's labor and he was discovered by the queen. And she like took him, she like moved him to the palace and they made this little mock farm for him to live on in, in London. And he became this like sort of, you know, like kind of a star, but he was like really, um, sort of exploited. And then it became this like sort of thing among the upper class, like you have to find your your natural poet, these amazing people who just sort of like magically can write poetry because there's a sort of narrative that that this was some sort of like uncultivated wellspring of talent instead of just like, yeah, incredibly talented people with like less, far less, you know, fewer advantages. Um, anyway, so, so she was kind of a, a part of that movement, but she was just, I think like one of the most brilliant and underrated poets of the 18th century. She wrote... Um, you know, she was like, so very much in dialogue, like you had to be a fewer woman poet at the time with all of the male writers and, and with all of the kind of like misogyny and sort of misogynistic assumptions about women and their abilities. And especially as a working class woman, um, so she's sort of like in dialogue with these people who like don't even know that she exists, but she wrote a couple of poems. There's one called Mon man, the monarch, which is a kind of like a twist on like, an origin story, you know, is sort of like thinking about like, okay, so men gave names to all the creatures um, and they gave a name to woman and basically like, you know, so man named woman fool and the, and her sort of point is like, basically like, you know, men were afraid of the power that they saw that women had and they were afraid that they were going to lose their sort of supremacy, you know, so they, they, they labeled women fools to keep them, um, you know, sort of like, linguistically rhetorically under control and it's just this like it's this incredible poem it's short but so like packed with with meaning um it's such a like a, a sort of breathtakingly sharp insight um you know when you, that it for that time you know and for a woman who was in her early 20s who did who had very little formal education she was just like she had to be such a fucking genius you know to be able to do this she had yeah. to be so incredibly smart and talented um, and I'd like to talk to her just to kind of like, 
just to like know what she was like, you know, and like see her life and, and actually get to, to talk to this like brilliant person who, who died. I mean, she just got sick, you know, she got sick really young and she died and, and, and even just like tell her, Hey, you're, your poetry got published, you know, and like, and it disappeared for a long time and it was rediscovered and republished by feminist scholars, um, in the last, like really like 30 years. And like, you know, now I teach it like every single semester and just, yeah, I just like to sort of talk to her and let her know. Um, yeah, I would never, ever, that's such a good answer. I would never, ever, ever want to meet or talk to Milton because although he is brilliant, I think he was, <laughs> from reading him, I think he was probably a giant fucking asshole uh, and would be so <laughs> annoying to talk to. Like, oh my God, he would just be like such. So many poets would be so, like, it would be like talking to like uh, like a, a millennial hipster. Oh my God, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Milton would absolutely have been a Reddit bro. Like I'm just, he would have been like the dude on Reddit yeah. who was arguing with everyone I all feel the like, time. I feel like poetry... Poetry was the first Reddit. It really it was. It really kind of was. And especially, like, it was the first Reddit. It was also the first Twitter. Because, like, you read sort of, like, especially the yeah. 19th century, where poetry, like, before the 19th century, where sort of, like, with romanticism, poetry really shifted into what we think of now, whereas, like, when we think of poetry, we think of almost exclusively of lyric poetry, and we tend to think of it as being, like, a mode where that's about, like, expressing personal emotions or, or feelings or experiences. And, like, prior to that... Poetry was where, like, political debate happened, social, like, people, like, wrote, you know, about, like, stuff going on politically, socially, they wrote about, you know, like, like, philosophical debate took place in poetry, it was a much more sort of public form, and so you read someone like Alexander Pope, who's another guy that I work on a lot, uh, who's brilliant, and also I never ever wanted wanted to meet him because I'm sure he was a giant pain in the ass. And like you read, like so much of of Pope's poetry because he was a very like famous, like he was kind of like the guy, like the most famous poet. Yeah. Um, and uh, there's a lot of his poetry, especially after he got really famous. That's just sort of like all these people are coming at me, you know, like they want to like tear me down, they want to like you know they they hate me because of they hate me because yeah. I'm so great, they hate me because. I have these political beliefs, whatever. Like, there's one whole poem that's basically oh, just about, like, oh, man, it's so tough being me. Like, all these people, they either want me to make them great <laughs> poets or they want to tear me down, you know? Um, and like, I, I think, would not want to hear him on Twitter. Oh, my God. It's exactly what I was thinking. I was like, he would have been all over Twitter all the time, you know, like, <laughs> starting fights with people. Like, he would have been, like, the king of Twitter. I in, find like, poetry... And he would yeah. have like a blue check mark and he would have uh-huh. never shut up about it. Oh yeah, for sure. Oh Absolutely. my god. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> I find Twitter quaint and quite absurd. How am I supposed to express myself in 144 words? Exactly, yes. <laughs> and then somebody would like he'd tweet something and somebody would, you know, object to it, and then he'd say, Well, you just didn't understand me, and it would be like a 30 tweet thread explaining to that person yeah. why they're just like wrong about Like you know. chill out, dude. <laughs> exactly. So, uh, take a chill pill, bro. Yeah. So, yeah. Which is why it's so Sweet. funny. Those are um, like, you know, watching Hamilton, uh, like so many people sort of amazed, at, you know, like, I think I like, I love that it brought a lot of people to that, you know, that period, but like watching the Hamilton, I'm just sort of like Lin-Manuel Miranda, absolutely. He, he captured 100% 
the spirit of all of those 18th century exchanges. You know, like they didn't awesome. rap, but like that rap battle, like that is the subtext of everything. Like, we don't know. Yeah, I mean, like in some ways, like poetry, we were like, there. Yeah, yeah. But, we like, were there. You like if you if you if you know like if you if you know the sort of idiom that people wrote and you read those like letters and, and verse exchanges and stuff like that. It's like, yeah, that's absolutely what it sounded like. You know, like that was the subtext to all that stuff. Sweet. I gotta watch, uh, I gotta watch, I gotta watch that now. I haven't seen it. Oh, Uh, I know. I know. I've, I've heard all the songs. I've sang them all. I just have to go see Hamilton. Oh Oh, God. It's so Uh, good. It's so good. It was just in Portland like two weeks ago and I went, or was here on, I saw it on Easter with my sister and we were just like, Ugh, it's incredible. Okay. Life changing. When you say ugh, it's a, just it's a necessity. The ugh is like, <laughs> yeah, that's, exactly. the most, that's the most telling sign for anything. Whether it's food, whether it's a movie, whether it's Hamilton, <laughs> ugh. <laughs> that just tells me what I need to know. Have you seen the hunter? Ugh. Oh. <laughs> you know that character named Jackson? Oh. <laughs> Oh my god. <laughs> That's the first uh Jackson has ever gotten, I guarantee it. <laughs> All right, question four for Claire at Samantha at Samantha Casey uh, Samantha at Samantha Casey's. One, Claire, without giving away spoilers to people who haven't read your masterpiece, what was the most fun thing or scene to write about the rewind files and what was the hardest? And two, Dreamcast the Rewind Files from the Hundred Cast only. Okay, I think the second one I think I've kind of done, but um, so I'll come back to that. But um, okay, so so sir, what the first one was was fun, most fun and hardest thing to write. Was that what it was? Yep. Okay. Um, so so the most fun I would say is um, the <laughs> there is uh, there is a scene in the very very early part of the book, so I can tell Sachin without spoiling him. That is lifted entirely from real life, um, which I put in there as a gift to my brother. Which is a scene between Reggie and her brother, where um, he offers her a um, a glass of this incredibly insanely expensive whiskey, and she thinks it tastes disgusting because it's like tastes like <laughs> peaty. Um, and, um, and it, which was a delight because Christopher didn't know I was doing this. And he, for me, for Christmas one year, um, cause he was trying to teach me how to like whiskey because he's like, this is what playwrights drink. You have to learn how to like it. And I was like, okay. Um, and I'm sort of like a caramel apple teeny girl, but he was like, no, we gotta like teach you how to drink whiskey. Um, and so he got me a gift certificate to this fancy Portland whiskey bar for like $50 and I could only spend it on whiskey. Um, and so I had like, like a couple glasses of some, like, okay, I'll try this bourbon and I'll try this, whatever. And then they had like $35 left. And I was like, all right, bring me a glass of like the most expensive whiskey that you have. Um, and it just tasted like licking a barbecue. I was like, how do people <laughs> drink this shit? I was horrified. Oh my God. And, and my brother so I looked at it and I was like, ah, oh, this tastes like charcoal. And I'm like barfing it. I'm like making all these like barf faces. And Christopher was like, like it was, it was like I had like, like peed in church. Like he was like, <laughs> he was offended on like a spiritual <laughs> level. Um, and and so I wrote that scene into uh, into the book. And there's a scene where um, kind of like a flashback to a Christmas dinner. And um, and one of the like one of my favorite little sort of time travel details is that in this in their universe, um, 
uh, spirits, like alcohol, brought through the time travel stream like ages correctly in transit. So if you go back 200 years and buy a, bring a, like a, a bottle of like new whiskey, you can like bring it through the time, the slipstream, and then when you come out in the future, it's 200 year old whiskey. So there's this whole kind of black market industry of like chrono imported alcohol and you know and smuggling That's and awesome. things like that. Yeah. Um, and so he gets this bottle of like 195 year old Scotch, and he's like, "We're gonna crack this up for Christmas dinner," and Reggie's like, oh my God, that's so gross. Um, so, uh, so it was, it was fun to write because I was also like, cause it was like, this is autobiographical. And because I knew Christopher was going to be so delighted, um, which he was, he like, he like took pictures on his phone of like that whole section and like Instagram, the entire thing. And he's like, I'm in Claire's book. Um, Amazing. So that was the most fun. Um, and then, um, and then the hardest part I would say is, um, without any spoilers is, um, so we threw out the original ending that I had. I had an ending that was much more kind of straightforwardly a happy ending. And one of the things that my editor and I worked on a lot as we were kind of working on the story was how to be um, how to be kind of consistent with how the rule, how the laws of time travel science work. Um, and so I wrote the first kind of you know, section of the book with the expectation that at some point in the story, I wanted Reggie to end up back at the place where her father had died and that she was going to try, that she was going to be able to save his life. Um, yeah. And about halfway through, we reached a point where Chris was like, my editor was like, he's like, you can't, you can't do that. Like you've, you've laid out how clearly, you know, like how death works and, and you can't pull the rug out from under the reader. And so the entire story had to end up going in a completely different direction awesome. once it was like, okay, this whole back half doesn't work anymore. Now, what are we going to do? Um, and, you know, when I, my mom passed away 10 years ago. And so I think when I was writing it, there was a sort of element of like, um, you know, a lot of that was sort of very like emotional for me. Like I want, I wanted to give Reggie a chance to like get back her parent that she lost yeah. and having to sort of deal with the fact that like, no, I actually now have to tell a much more difficult, but also more like emotionally honest story about like how you go on in the face of that loss, knowing that you can't fix it. So I think it's a significantly better book for that, but like, yeah making that decision was really hard and then writing, you know, like knowing like Reggie's dad is dead the whole time. Like that's just a thing that's part of this story. And that has to be kind of like part of who she is made me have to kind of like, I had to sort of dig a little bit deeper, you know, for myself with that stuff. But I think it turned I out much better. That That's an amazing uh, story because um, I think in life, in anything you do, especially in literature and writing, Honesty trumps happiness any day. Yeah, yeah, I think so. It's what people so. gravitate towards more than anything. But sometimes when you watch something, you don't know why you gravitate towards it. It's only because it's honest. Yeah. Like I always mm -hmm. say, my, my best example of that um, is Keanu Reeves, right? Yeah. So people I always like say, Keanu Reeves. people always watch him and they, they say, oh, he's whatever he's this, but they love him, right? Yeah. And, and because they're watching it visually, they're thinking, this is not the acting that I'm used to somebody doing, mm -hmm. but he, the reason you love him and the reason you believe him in the matrix, for example, is because he's just so damn honest. He puts yeah. so much work into making sure that every line he says has like some grab, it has some like history behind it and gravitas. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that's why you love it because honesty is what people gravitate towards. That's it. Yeah. It's not, mm -hmm. it's not making them feel good. It's not making them feel bad. It's whatever the truth is. Yeah. Yeah. And also, I think that that's Keanu a beautiful Reeves lesson. 
seemed like such a just like an honest person, just like the way that he lives his life. Like he's just so yeah. genuine, you know. I think yeah. he's so underrated. I do I, too. I adore he feels him. Just like a solid, like a, such a solid dude. And I think, I think he like, I think his acting comes across like that because yeah, I yeah. think he's just a person who just has no Hollywood artifice to him. Yeah, yeah. And all this, like, he just makes his his characters are all like all very. Um, they're all very different people and you know some people are like oh but you know he does this thing no no but they're all very different in a very nuanced way because the way they speak their inflection whatever they do he's just making it honest and truthful to that person and that's exactly. just why you why you love them so much and there are a yeah. lot of examples of actors like that i just choose him because people always tend to like don't know where to put him and yeah. the only box you put him in is honest and that's why you like him Yes. yes. So, so that's what people love, and I think that's that's a cool, cool story about the Rewind Files. Um, I totally. Yeah, I think it's a better book for it, even though I haven't read it yet. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so fan casting um, from the show. So I have obviously I put an enormous amount of thought into this, so I think I could crank through it pretty quickly. Um, so, uh, so Katie, uh, Katie Bellows, who's the mom, is obviously Abby. Mm-hmm. And uh, and Leo Carstairs, uh, who's her husband, who died twenty years ago, is obviously Jake. Um, Got it. And uh, and I think that Reggie uh, and her brother would be Octavia and Bellamy. I actually think Marie would be a great Reggie Bellows. I think she totally cool. has the right kind of like tomboy energy. Um, yeah. And then uh, Reggie has uh, her her tech, her like kind of um, computer genius assistant. Uh, Calliope, I think uh, Lindsay would be amazing. So I think that would be Raven. Um, and then Carter would be Wells. Yeah. And uh, let's see who else. Um, uh, oh, and Grove, uh, who is the kind of uh, cantankerous older dude time travel agent that Reggie is the assistant for. Um, I think I think he might be Jaha, and then Director Gray, who's uh, the head of the bureau, I think might be Kane because he has more of a sort of like working partnership with uh, with Reggie's Got mom. It. And then, um, oh, and then um, and then Beth Rutherford, who is Reggie's uh, like <laughs> bitchy secretary boss in the yeah. White House. I think Diana Sidney would be perfect for her. Diana Sidney, callback. Yeah. I love Diana Sidney. Um, and then. Let's see who else. Um, Woodward and Bernstein would be Jasper and Monty. Yeah, and Woodward and Bernstein, amazing. Yeah, is, that, is, uh, Bern, is Bernstein like uh, any uh, callback to the um, Mandela effect? Uh, oh, Woodward and Bernstein were the reporters that broke the Watergate story. Got it. Got it. Got so, it. So, so they wrote all the President's Men, which is like my favorite book of all time. Um, and in a very real sense, I think you could look at the Rewind Files as all the President's Men fan fiction. Um, <laughs> <laughs> like I think, I think that would be a fair way to approach the genesis of this project. Um, okay, I think is that Aaron? Is that every major character? Am I forgetting anybody? I think that's all of them, right? I think that's all of them. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That's my that's my dream cast. Sweet. Awesome. I love that. <laughs> I love it. I love it. People fan cast the hundred uh, uh, characters because it's just like, you know, you want to see is it is it are you casting based on uh, the actor, the character, or so obviously this is character driven. This is like hundred character driven. So Abby, Jake, all this stuff, you know. But now that you know um, members of like of the cast, so would Paige be? Uh, if you, or, or now that you've talked to like, um, 
anybody else on the show would 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 you think that Paige would be her? Would you think that oh my gosh, yeah. Isaiah would be it would be that guy? You know? Yeah, it's I think in in some ways now that like um like now that I I feel like I have you know I I know people on like on a more personal level. Personal level it's yeah. like yeah, it's this it's a sort of like it's kind of like a little bit of both. Like like for um. Like for Calliope, for example, for the like sort of tech genius nerd girl, the way she looks, the way she sort of like physically looked in my head as I was writing, would be very much like Eliza, kind of like a very like yeah. Eliza, like real life Eliza energy, like like blonde yeah. and bubbly and kind of like silly and kooky, but also like sort of real like snarky, sarcastic sense of humor. Yeah. Um, but her but her character is she's totally like the raven of the story. Like she's the like the one that always has the like unexpected genius technology fix that saves the day, you know? Um, So it kind of got to go both directions and Paige, the only, I I will say in the book, um, Katie, the mom is like, 5'11". She's like this like <laughs> towering statuesque like men are terrified of her kind of physical presence. Yeah, so that's a- Paige. So like <laughs> apart from the question of height, I think height aside, which I would be completely willing to like, like Tiny Turco. yield to like, because I love Paige Turco so much. Um, but I, but you know, even though Paige is, is not, is not 5'11", but she has that kind of like, she, she has that energy. Yeah. Yes, like yeah. she, yeah. she like, like the most important thing is that, you know, Katie is like, is a sort of like, she's like a, like a living legend. And so part of their relationship is like Reggie growing up as kind of the like slacker disappointment daughter to this woman who is like an international time travel celebrity and basically like helped build this bureau and is like the first woman director and, you know, and had this kind of like, you know, Hollywood love story with her, you know, with her dad. Carstairs and Bellows, you know, with this sort of like iconic time travel agent team. Um, and and so Katie, I think the most important thing is she has to kind of have that energy of somebody who like wears authority with that level of confidence, but is also this incredibly loving mom um, and this sort of badass action hero. So I think I actually think Paige would be amazing. Like I awesome. would like I would die to have Paige play this part and I could totally live without her being being five foot eleven. <laughs> <laughs> amazing. Sometimes you gotta, you know, as long as the the heart and soul of the characters are, that's all that matters. Exactly. 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 Amazing. Yeah. All right, Aaron, question four from at Leave Me Arone. <laughs> that's why I read these ads, just for moments like that. <laughs> Leave me alone. Oh my god. Okay. Question for Aaron. Who would you rather? Finn or Riley? Wink. Who would I rather what? Okay, well, so she says would you to me, rather she didn't specify. I think I think I, it's I, that means who would you rather. I think it's fair. Uh, yeah. Who would you rather? Uh, yes. Oh god. Yeah. Finn or Riley? I'm going to answer for sure Riley. For sure. Yeah, for <laughs> sure Riley. For sure Riley. I'm going to say Riley now, too. Yeah. I have a I have a follow-up question to that question. So that was what that was what she asked. My my question to that is separately from the like who would you rather you know, who'd rather do my question for Aaron is who would you rather, if you had to pick one of them to be the lead character of the hundred season six and get the, <laughs> the biggest storyline that everyone else's storylines hinge off of. And he's in every single episode. Then who would you rather? Riley. <laughs> still Riley. Still Riley. By Always Riley. Mile. Yeah, definitely. Finn is dead Ooh. and has to remain dead. That's true. Then, you know, I think I I would kill Finn a hundred times if I could. Oh yeah, me too. Uh, me too. Yeah. Me too. If, 
if I could, I, you know, if, if the powers that be gave me that power, yep. I would make him Finn every moment of the day. Yep. Absolutely. <laughs> and yeah. I have to say one of the greatest testaments for me personally to Eliza Taylor's just like astonishing ability as an actor is that I was actually like sad and cried when Clark killed Finn. Oh, because you felt for her. Because I felt for that. I felt for Clark, which is like I didn't think it was possible for me to mm-hmm. feel primarily sadness rather than joy at watching Finn die, but I did, which is yeah, uh, testament to Eliza Taylor, also to the writers to, to mm-hmm. uh, for making that such a devastating moment, but also uh, yeah, yep. yeah. I, also, I, 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 shout out to Ben. Ben is like the greatest. I love that guy. Yeah, <laughs> uh, one of the nicest guys. I mean, Riley. If to play Riley, you have to be one of the nicest guys. <laughs> You know, uh, yep, so shout, yep. shout out to Benny. Yeah, and he had fun with it on social media too. Like he yeah, got very yeah. into all the Riley memes. I was like, yeah. this is a this is a good dude. This is like a good natured dude. Yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. So Sweet. Uh, always Riley. <laughs> always good, good question. That was that was. You know what? I'm actually uh, leave me alone, and that was a tap. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Success. Uh, last question uh, of the non-surprise questions for Claire, uh, for Aaron. It's from Claire at mm. Cayman Griffin. <laughs> Which of the Hollowell sisters on Charmed is your favorite and why? I feel like in 18 years we have somehow never actually discussed this. <laughs> <laughs> so, yes, I was super, Amazing question from Claire. Super into Charmed in, like, the early 2000s. I started watching it in college. Surprise, surprise. Uh, <laughs> And the funny, the hilarious thing, like for me, like the weird, I guess the weird thing uh, in a lot of ways, especially being in fandom, is that I, I had not seen Buffy. I still have only seen a season and a half of Buffy, but I was a really oh big fan God, of Charm. Oh my God, what are you doing? I just, I just never saw it. I just never saw it. I'm going to hang it. up right now. <laughs> Get out of here with that. Yeah, I Buffy know. The, it's, it's, that's, you're a part of a fandom. It, that's I what know. invented fandom. I know, I know. <laughs> well, and X-Files, but yeah, no, I know. I know, believe me, I know. And I did, I watched Firefly. I don't, and I didn't, I, like, I, I couldn't with Firefly. Um, so I'm like, I'm the what? weird, yeah, I'm, <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm the weird fangirl who I'd like, I don't really like Joss Whedon. I just like, he's not my... Take my love, take my land, take me to where I cannot stand. I don't care, I'm still free. You can't take, you can't the, sky take the sky from me. From me. <laughs> Come on, Firefly. It's only like a, how many episodes? Ten. Yeah, no, and I watched them. I watched them all, and I love Inara. Did you watch and it Hayley. in Joss Whedon's order? Yeah, uh, no, because I didn't know what it was until I was like, I, okay. I was watching it, and I told, but like, I, then I did, then I did. And, like, the thing is, so here's the thing for me with Firefly. I love Zoe and Inara and I lo- and Kaylee, like, especially Inara and Kaylee. I love them very much, but I hate Mal so much that it ruins the show for me. Like, I just cannot deal with Mal. I can't. You hate Mal? He has to be that strong. He has to be that, that asshole so people listen to him. He doesn't have to be that much of a freaking misogynist to Inara. Like, he doesn't have to spend all of his time. But he's... He- I, I agree with that, but he's very old school, and he does, and he also he's a jealous dude. It's okay. not that he's actually upset at what she's doing. 
He's in love with her. He's fighting that fact because he's so broken by the whole world that he doesn't think he deserves I love. Really and he can't believe that this woman that he loves has with all these other dudes. So it's coming out in so many different ways. I get that, but I just, fight, I really, fight, really fight, dislike fight. jealousy. Like, I don't like that trope. I don't like characters who behave in that way. Like, it just doesn't yeah. work for me. I totally get it. But he, he doesn't know, like, and he needs a strong woman like that who can, so they're both testing each other to see if they're strong yeah. enough to be with each other because they're both so strong. And he's a dude that doesn't know how to handle his emotions at all. And that's how it comes out. And I think they, they're both just continually testing each other until they're finally together because they're both so powerful. I think I, I absolutely agree. I think you're right. I just I can't. I think for me, it's because like the sort of dude who can't deal with his emotions is like too much. Like I have enough of those dudes you have to deal with in real life, and they're <laughs> awful. And I just like I don't. I don't. It'll don't it'll never end. I guarantee you, it'll never end, <laughs> dudes. We. It's the last, like, emotions are just like, what are those? Yeah, I know, I know. And I just, like, I, it's just, like, it just rubbed me the wrong way with Mal. And I know, and I feel bad because, like, in a lot of other ways, it's a great show and I just couldn't get past it. And I love, like, again, like, Kaylee, I mean, I think my other problem is, of course, that, like, I ship Kaylee and Anara. So, like, also part of my shipper heart is, like, get away from Anara, Mal, because Actually, obviously she and Kaylee should be together. You know, it's funny, speaking about Firefly now, uh, me and Richard Harmon are the godfathers to Jewel State's kids now. <laughs> really? Are you really? Oh my God, yeah, I love not, her. Not, like, not literally. I think we've just said it a lot. So <laughs> but we're really good friends with them now. We just had dinner with them like two months ago at their place in uh, in Vancouver. Um, we met them at a convention in Australia and we got really tight. And it was just like, a, it's a funny, funny kind of thing to be completely, uh, to have fanned over that show for years and now just be um, tight with them. Because she's, her and her husband, Charlie, are the best. She just seems like such a lovely person. She is, dude. She's fantastic. That's awesome. And I will say this. The other the other thing about Firefly, which I like, the other thing about it for me is that I didn't watch it until a couple years ago. And it's one of those shows where it's like, if I had watched that back when it was first on the air, like back when I was watching Charmed, I'm sure I would have loved it. Um, it just kind of like came at the wrong point in my life. So it's like one of those things where like I can recognize like if I watched it, then I would have loved it and I would have a lot of nostalgia for it and I would be like, yeah, I recognize these things, but you know, so I think it's just a kind of like, it's a weird timing thing. For I me. think we got to, I think we just got to call it what it is and it's our first blemish on our friendship, Aaron. <laughs> I know, I know. It's very sad. You know, I think you should just take me out into the black, tell him I ain't coming back. <laughs> And then oh, the sea, you can't take, you can't the, take sky. the sky from me. And you know what? The first couple of times I hated like when my friend introduced me to the show, the first time I was like, what is this theme song, man? I don't even know what it is. And now it's like my favorite theme song. I love it. Is the, the theme song and the opening credits of that like are like I just I feel that song like on an emotional level. Like oh, I just totally. Yeah. Totally. A cowboy sci-fi. Anyways, we're not going to make this a Firefly. <laughs> you guys, you guys, one of us Firefly doesn't like podcast. That's because thirty-three point three three repeat percent of us <laughs> doesn't like it. So, and I totally accept that I am an outlier on this, and I and I completely accept that like there are wonderful things about the show, and it just didn't work for me. And that's I'm I know that I'm in the minority, and that's totally fine. I love there are plenty of things. How does your I, husband feel about Firefly? Uh, he's never watched it. He actually, he doesn't, like, in general, he's not really a sci-fi guy. Um, which it. is funny because his favorite movie, like, his trilogy is Back to the Future. Like, yeah. he loves No, that movies. makes sense. That transcends time and space. It does. And genre. Um, and genre, yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> he's never seen Firefly. I don't know how he'd feel. Um, 
I did make him watch the hundred and, uh, and he was really into it. And his, his number one, his like OTP is Jaha and Jaha's walking stick from season two. He like, <laughs> oh, <laughs> I totally get it. I totally get it. There's the, because you know, you don't know what those sticks mean to you when you got nothing else. Exactly. Yeah. It's just like his other, his other recurring thing with the hundred is every time Abby is on stage, she's like hair game on point. Yeah. He loves Paige's hair. Every time Paige is on the screen, he's like, Abby's hair game is on point. Like every single time. It doesn't, it doesn't take long at all to do in the morning. We're never (laughs) waiting. All the time. She's the ultimate. Honestly, woke up she's like, but I think maybe it's because she was a dancer when she was uh, younger, but the woman shows up to set and it's like, how are you already looking like this? How do you not. <laughs> Ballerina you not training, age? man. How do you not age? How are you eating all this chocolate and still look like that? <laughs> and how is your hair that immaculate 24 7? Like, I feel like you're just walking around L'Oreal commercial and like, <laughs> yeah. people are just behind you. She's got the urge, natural botanicals. <laughs> Secret, secret uh, magic that they teach to ballerinas. I don't yeah. know. The woman, is, it's insane. Italian ballerinas. She's got it on lockdown. Yeah, that's right. What was the actual question I was supposed to be answering? Oh. Yeah. Uh, Charm. Charm. Yeah, I think, uh, I think this went exactly the way it was supposed to. <laughs> so I think, um, I think my favorite sister would have to be Piper. Uh, Me too. Yeah, because she just, like, I don't know, she just... I, I identify with her, like, anxiety <laughs> um, <laughs> and her sort of constant state of just, like, oh, my God, I can't believe I have to be dealing with another freaking demon. I just want to, like, <laughs> get my life in order. <laughs> I love it. Um, I love it. Then also, you would love uh, um, uh, Buffy. <laughs> yeah, I, I, like I said, I've watched the first season and a half of Buffy. Um, and, and I, like, I really – I loved – like, watching – like, the, the funny thing is that is I have this, like, weird, like – inverted response to it where I'm watching it and I'm like oh my god this reminds me of Charmed and then I have to be like yeah that's because Charmed like stole that idea from <laughs> <laughs> that, um, this is the alternate reality that I'm living right now and I think it's hell yeah, yeah. but like the, funny, like the funny thing is like watching Buffy I actually like even though I didn't watch it when I was growing up like I feel a lot of nostalgia just because it's very like having watched Charmed, you know, it's just very much sort of like oh my god, those late '90s outfits, like this, totally like, late '90s WBTV. Like I totally get the like the whole vibe yeah. of it, um, and yeah. it's absolutely incontrovertibly a better show than Charmed was in every like measurable way. <laughs> like I don't dispute that at all. <laughs> I've never seen Charmed, so you watch Buffy, I'll watch Charmed, and we'll all call right, it a excellent. day. Yeah, okay. Charmed is like Charmed is actually pretty <laughs> solid, especially if they're the first like few seasons. Like it's got some like really you know dumb episodes like any you know they like they do two, 22 23 episodes of those like genre shows and there's always going to be some duds but uh but like i think like the, you know the premise of it was like three sisters who discover that they have magical powers and that they like have this like family you know it's an like inherited duty as like witches going way back to protect the world from demons that come to mess with people and they do like a really like i really love the relationships among the sisters they do that really well yeah um and so like there's some really great stuff about it and then like in the later seasons it just goes completely insane just like totally off the rails batshit like they just start like they have this whole (laughs) weird thing where they like after Harry Potter became huge, the writers decided they were going to like invent this thing called magic school, which like never existed before. And then, so it's like, so the, the TV without our television without pity recapper, um, who was awesome. who was hilarious. 
Uh, used to yeah. call it, he called it not warts. Um, <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> Amazing. Um, yeah. So it's like all this, like this weird time travel storyline that happens. It just gets like in, insane, but it's kind of fun in like a really, I kind of love when they, way. when they jump the shark near the end, because oh, yeah. you know, it, while a lot of people hate it, I'm like, I kind of love when things go nuts. Cause I'm like, all right, with something fresh, I'll like this for a season yeah. and then we'll call, we'll call it a day. Basically like it reset, reaches that point where you're sort of like, well, I'm not watching this to take it seriously anymore. I'm just like watching it to yeah. see how like crazy it's going to get. So it's fun. Yeah. Yeah. Love it. All right, ambush. <laughs> we have four questions for Claire now that have been ambushed this morning. We have about uh, 20 minutes-ish left, and there's only right. five questions, so we can bust through these, I oh, think. Yeah. All right. Um, okay. Question number one from Brittany at oh, Brittany S underscore. Okay, one. Obviously, time zones. Oh, God. Two, please, please ask her about her baby classification system and ways <laughs> she thinks they're transported. Oh, my God. Okay, so... So this is so Brittany, Brittany and Sam are two of my best fandom friends, and they told me that they were going to send in embarrassing questions that I would have to reveal my own vulnerabilities. So <laughs> I um so I'll do the, the second one first because it's shorter. So um so one time so I'm bad at telling how old people are, especially like small children. Like I'm just any anything <laughs> related to time, to I'm so bad at. Um. And and so Sam, Says the woman who wrote a time travel. Yeah, no, we're all wait, like... wait until <laughs> wait until I tell you about my time travel problem, okay. Justin. So um, so I so I think it was Sam was telling me about like a baby that she was babysitting or a baby that she knew and said, oh, he's I don't know whatever months. And I asked, is he portable? Which I which what I meant was like. <laughs> was like is this is this a, is this the kind of baby that you just like put in a little thing and carry it around and they don't do anything or is this the kind of baby that's going to like run around and knock my vases off the shelf and she was like portable and i was like no like i was trying, like like i felt like it made sense i and wish you could like, see the face that i make right laugh- now <laughs> they were like howling with laughter of, like the idea of like babies being portable so now every time we're talking about anything that relates to babies they'll be like well now was it a portable ba-? and i'm like oh my god shut up so so they're <laughs> they're really bad friends so so that's the baby one so the time zone thing so time zones are my kryptonite they like i am defeated by time zones every single time so so aaron had been living in mississippi for like Fully, I think, three years before I figured out that she was only two time zones ahead of me instead of three. Um, and so so for all of those years, like my calculation of what time it was for her was an hour off and I didn't figure it out. And um, and then and like I like if when I travel, like I never know what time it is. Like when I when I'm in New York, I'm always kind of like. Like, is it three? Like, I know it's a different time in Portland, but I don't quite know when, which direction. This is um, why we and, always do everything in Pacific Standard Time. Anytime yes. we're planning anything, like anytime I talk to her about like, when are we recording? When am I yes. going to call you? She does I the math. Tell, yeah, she's me. like, she's, I'm like, I will call yeah. you at three o'clock your time. Don't worry about what time it is for me. Your time. You're not yes. going to think about it. Yeah. This is when you <laughs> yeah. should oh my the clock. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Well, so I many love times, it. The most, 
But I was like, well, I don't, like, I, I have something from, like, you know, one to three, so call me at three my time, and she would call me at, like, 11 o'clock in the morning, because she had, like, yeah, gone I'm, the opposite direction. Yeah, you're wrong. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> when, yeah. When it comes to time zones, if instead of, like, naming the mountain or Pacific, they should have just had one, two, three, four, five. Exactly, yeah, where you're like, I, I'm, yeah. I'm in 12, and you're in 16, like, I can do that math. I remember <laughs> as a kid being totally, like, messed up, like, which one's mountain Pacific? Right. <laughs> And are they well, different? There are mountains. And are they different? Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so when Brittany, Brittany's family has a house in Hawaii. And so she's, she's there a couple times a year. And the last, I think this is my, potentially my most egregious times on failure was like a couple months ago. <laughs> um, and she was in, she was in Hawaii and we were trying to figure out like, um, I don't know if it was like what time something was on TV or, but we were trying to like sync up times. Um, and I was like, oh, okay, well, you know, Sam's in North Carolina, so she's, you know, X ahead, and you're in Hawaii, so you're, like, one hour behind me. And she's like, uh, it's more than one hour. And I was like, well, like, I'm on the West Coast, and then, like, the next state over is Hawaii. <laughs> so, like, shouldn't that be one? And she's like, there's, like, a billion miles of ocean. And I was like, fish don't care what time it is, Brittany. And she was like, so, oh so I, this whole time I had had no idea that Hawaii is, I guess, a bunch of time zones away from Oregon. <laughs> and the whole time, every time Brittany's in Hawaii, I think she's just one hour above. So like, I'm off all the time. Um, and then, and then I just, think you're a Claire anomaly. No, this is this is like Ravenclaw, right? Like I'm really smart about book stuff, but like basic yeah. human functioning, I can't handle. Like no, Brittany. But that- everybody's got their flaws when it comes to like, there's always one crack yeah. in the armor when it comes to like stuff like that. Like there's, yeah. there's a, there's a basic where you have one humongous flaw that just, you can't seem to break no matter yeah, how hard you it. try. Yeah. yeah. And, it, and it sounds like, like it's so dumb. Like it's so transparently stupid that it feels exaggerated. And the fact that it keeps happening, like this happened like last week, like Brittany was in Alberta with her family for a while and then she came back and I knew that she was back in Vancouver and I still was adding an hour every single time. I, talked to her. <laughs> I have to and say it was, like, like, it was a delight to me having been friends with Claire for uh, almost 17 years and, uh, and like, and, and we've lived apart, like we haven't lived in the same time zone in like 10 years. Um, yeah. so I've been doing this, we've been doing this dance, like it's been a joke between me and my husband, like what time does Claire think it is for like a decade. And so like watching Claire's fandom friends start to make fun with her over time zones. Oh, I'm like, oh, hey guys, welcome to the party. Welcome to it's the world. party that never stops. Making fun no, of it's nice. It's nice when you find somebody like your friend is so intelligent, but you find the flaw, yeah, exactly. you know, you find the one thing you're like, oh yeah. Yeah. You think you're smart, huh? What time is it where I am? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Uh, I love that. Good times. That's the time zone story. That's the time zones. Oh man, I'm gonna use that for sure. <laughs> uh, question number two from Meg at Pegasus underscore writer: You get one crack pairing made real on the show. Who do you choose? Oh my god, that's so hard. I don't understand um, that. Question. So yeah, okay, do you know, so, do you know what a crack pairing is? Sasha? Not at all. So crack in in uh, fandom refers to uh, like crack pairing would be like a ship. And the okay. crack, the crack is refers to like something that's like totally crazy, insane, off the like something that would never happen. And like traditionally, I think crack gets used like a little bit more loosely now. But like traditionally, um, you know, like in in like the '90s, early 2000s in fandom, it would refer to things like like if there are two characters within one show, or there are two characters who have literally never spoken, 
Or, like, really, it would be something like characters from two entirely different TV shows or novels or whatever. Um, Oh, wow. So something, like, totally, totally crazy would never in a million years happen. There isn't even, like, anything on the screen. Like, they don't even talk to each other to, like, have a moment of spark. There's, like, nothing. So it's, like, totally, like, fan-invented. That's what they're comparing is. Yeah. Oh, crazy. Um, Jackson and Echo. Yeah, there you go. Exactly. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I ship it on Instagram. I will say that. Yeah, Yeah. exactly. Um, Oh, me too. (laughs) Um. So yeah. So make. So and I'm. I am. I am a known trash multi shipper. So I have lots of. I think if I had to pick one. See. Okay. So so caveat. If I could pick one. If I could. If I could have like. End game cabby, like cabby stays canon, but I could also separately have this other, like, I, I wouldn't want to like pick something that would like pull them apart, but I am, I, I am extremely attached to Dr. Mechanic, I would say. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Although, you know, that's probably the, like, I wouldn't even, I wouldn't even classify that as a crack fic, really a crack. Apparently. Yeah, that's true. Because they yeah. They do have a relationship, you know, and they have like, especially in season one, yeah. like I'm totally with you on the doctor mechanic. Absolutely. All the way. Yeah. 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 That's true. But, they have, yeah. yeah. But it's also, um, but insofar as it's like, a, that's a pairing that will literally never happen. There is no chance in right. a million years then. Yeah. Okay. Well, so I have, do I have like a really, really crazy one. Well, I will say this is this is less. I know this is this is sort of more in the realm of crack. But um, in the cabbie fandom, there is a sort of significant um, portion of crossover shippers who ship Paige's character on Person of Interest with Ian's character on Scandal because they actually <laughs> kind of an amazing kind like badass fixer power couple. Yeah. Like it actually works really really well. That's perfect. Um, so yeah, that's a fun one too. There you go. There you go. Yeah. Perfect. <laughs> I I really really like that one. <laughs> uh, I, I'm gonna I'm gonna write a show just based off. Yeah. Of those. Oh my god. We would all watch it. It'll yeah. be a spin 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 off. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> Zoe Morgan and Stephen Finch just like zipping around the world in a private jet, solving millionaire problems in like Dubai and Monaco. Like oh, I would watch really every episode thought. of that Who show. Would watch that for sure. No question. Like just yeah. thinking about the eye candy alone. Oh yeah. yeah. Oh god. The hair candy. <laughs> the hair, the hair candy. candy. Yeah. You would have to have uh, like every episode you just have to have like dedicated like at least a full 2 minutes cumulatively of shots like slow motion shots of their hair. Have yes, to. Exactly. Have no question. To. Yeah. If you don't I turn it off. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> You'd be like what was uh, that? Question- crap? <laughs> yeah. Question three from Elizabeth at everybody, leave me alone. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um Whatever FMK means. Uh, okay. Uh, right. Dioza, Becca, or Mayor, Major Byrne? Oh, man. Okay. Um, okay. Uh, Dioza, Becca, Major Byrne. Okay. I would say... Is, that, is, it, is this Mary this, Fuck Kill? Yes, it yeah. is. Yeah. Um, I love them all. This is so hard. Okay. I um, ugh, I guess I have to kill, I have to kill Major Byrne even though I love her. Um, the, oh that's oh that's my that's crack, crack ship. Parent. That's, there you go. Yeah, my yep. a- Abby and Major Byrne. Yes. That's my Whoa. Crack that's, yeah. yeah, I was gonna say there you go. <laughs> I'm all about that. Yeah, that's, that's my great. that's my weirdest one. I would say. Um, uh, so I would have to reluctantly, grudgingly, and with great apologies, probably kill Major Byrne. Um, and then I would say probably. 
fucked Yosa and marry Becca because I love Becca. And she seems more like someone that you would want to like spend the rest of your life with. Whereas like Dio's is kind of like hot, but terrifying, yeah. you know? Yeah. Um, totally so agree. yeah, that would be my, I'm mm, Diosa and Burn could potentially be sweet. No, I mean, I'm locking it in. I'm locking it in. That's my answer. Yeah. That's my final answer. Good, good, good. Yeah, I think I think that's the answer. I think it has to be. That. <laughs> I think so. I don't know what else. You, I don't know how else you could do that. <laughs> yeah, I can, I'm not going to answer that question at all. But I'm just going to say, hey, yeah, that's a good one, Claire. <laughs> <laughs> Number four, Robin at Robin Jeffrey. Claire, if you time travel from Portland at 11 p.m. on a no! Tuesday, <laughs> wait. Let me finish the question, please, Claire. Claire, if you tie travel from Portland at 11 p.m. on a Tuesday in 2018 and end up in 1923 New York, how long will it take for Woodward and Bernstein to falsely arrest you? (laughs) Hey, look, Robin, Jeffrey, really don't question. We're all very impressed. I was, okay, so backstory on this question. I, I, um... I sent, I like sent a message to some of our friends to be like, Hey guys, you know, like send me some good Claire, some good questions to sort of start with Claire. And it devolved into a thread of like increasingly ridiculous time related questions to troll oh Claire with. I hate you all. And this was, this was the culmination <laughs> of that thread. This is like a combination of like four different versions of that question. And this went on for like an hour. Everyone was just like. I'm so proud of you guys. (laughs) I wondered how Sam knew what Meg's question was. She's like, oh my God, Meg's question was great. And I was just like, what? And now that I know that there was a secret time zone roasting thread happening behind my back, it all becomes clear. Time zone roasting thread. Uh, Originally, like it started as a, hey guys, can you please send me rewind files? Like it was all the people uh, I knew had read rewind files. I was like, please send me rewind files questions for Claire. Um, and then it, and then it, as it always does, if you have and then people it spirals who are into Claire, it quickly descended into uh, time zone roasting. <laughs> <laughs> as all conversations with Claire tend to do. That's that is um, exactly correct. I, well, for a second, what I was worried about was I was like, is, she, is it going to be like if I time traveled and then she's going to make me do some kind of like actual international math? But luckily I don't, so I don't, I don't even know how to answer that question. So I will just. Let it lie. <laughs> I believe. I believe the correct uh, answer to that question first, is I hate you all. Yes, yeah, exactly. Screw you, Robin. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God, Aaron! If if Charmed was released in conjunction with Firefly and Buffy, your Patronus, Patronus still be a badger? And which magic <laughs> magic school would you attend? <laughs> I think in that case, my Patronus would be. Uh, llama. A, a llama. Yeah, a llama. Llama's good. Uh, an, <laughs> an alpaca. I think An alpaca, yeah. Yes, an alpaca. And, I and when you leave, I'll pack a lunch for you. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and in that universe, Mel would be my favorite. <laughs> awesome. Oh, God. I want to live in that universe. <laughs> <laughs> that would be a bonkers amazing universe. That would be pretty cool. Yeah. Oh, it's just insane. I, I Honestly, I'm time traveling there as we speak. Yes. To, Port- <laughs> to Portland in 1923. <laughs> With the time traveling technology we all have in our minds, our imaginations. Exactly. Oh God! Wow. <laughs> <Before> you go. <laughs> Question five. <laughs> Sam at Sam Casey's. 
Claire, please tell the world the story of how you missed gunshots going off in your neighborhood. Oh my God. Because you were too distracted by Cabbie. Oh, <laughs> oh my God. An amazing story. Oh. Uh, <laughs> God damn it. Okay, so this is, this actually happened. Um, so I, I live in a neighborhood that is um, like, like medium murdery. Um, and I, wait, wait, I've wait, had- wait, 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 wait. <laughs> what scale is that? <laughs> Well, so if you if you look at like like a heat map of crime rates in Portland and it's all sort of color coded from green to red, I definitely live in a red zone. Um, That's but, not medium. Well, okay, yeah, but but it was so yellow is like, medium. Well, okay, yeah, but it's like it's you know it's mostly gang violence, it's mostly targeted. Like I have never like felt really like in danger like living in the neighborhood, but there are shootings around here a lot. Um, and and so since I've I've I bought this house like seven years ago I think and the first like six months that I was here I got broken into twice um but like never again since then um but there's been a couple of there's been a couple of shootings that have been like um like around like on my street or near my house that have been like kind of like you know like intense and scary and crazy um well but I really I really like my house um I know, I know, I know, but I'll never get a kitchen this nice anywhere else in Portland for this price. So, um, <laughs> but so, uh, so then the, so on the, on the night in question, um, so the night, and this is completely true, the night that the first cabbie kiss happened. So I think it was, it was 308, 308. Um, uh, the night that it aired, and I was watching it live, um, and, uh, and I like, um, like I, you know, it was all like, like full of emotions and like, Oh my God, King going to die. And it's all, all like in the, the whole angsty, like I can't do this again. And then the kiss. And I was just like, my whole life had been like building up to this moment since we like <laughs> saw the kiss in the trailer. And I was like, yeah, Oh my God, I'm so hyped. Um, and, and then it went, when it got to, when went to the commercial after that, I checked my phone and, uh, my neighbors had texted me and they were like, are you okay? Are you okay? And I was like, what's going on? And they were like the, the, you know, the, the gunshots, the shooting, they just wanted to check and see if you're okay. And I was like, what shooting? And they were like, the, the, the one that just happened, like right in front of your house. And I was like, what? So I like put the TV on, like I paused the DVR and I went outside and my street is crawling with police officers. And and I asked them, I was like, oh, hey, like what, like what happened? And they're like, oh, there was, there was a shooting. Um, and I was like, you know, where? And they were like, well, do you see those little like white flags on the street that's like where we found the bullet casings and it's like my driveway it's like right at the end of my driveway and I was like oh "Oh." okay so like so so like I mean I the like everyone ended up being fine like they took one guy to the hospital but he ended up being okay so like nobody died um uh and then the cops were like there like all night you know I guess but um but yeah so so I but I literally missed it like I did not like yeah. I was, I was oblivious enough to the entire world because the cabbie kiss was happening that I missed an actual like life or death shooting right outside my house because I was so like wrapped up and I and I made the mistake of telling this to people and Sam and Brittany thought it was so fucking hilarious that they bring it up like all <laughs> the time as a sign of how like overly invested in television I perhaps am. I'm not but, even mad. I'm impressed. <laughs> yeah, right. I mean, like that is—that is true. Dedication. You might as well have eaten the whole wheel of cheese. <laughs> you can't even say, like, can you really say that you are a fan of a pairing if you don't tune out an actual shooting in front of your house during their first kiss? I don't think you can. That is like the peak. 
You are like incontrovertibly the number one Cabby fan. That's the number one. You're like, the, my, yeah. like my shipper credentials are unimpeachable. Yeah, it's like exactly. something could have died and I didn't even notice. You that's were how it's on. A, you were on a ship by yourself. Yeah, that's that's like, marooned in the ocean. Yeah. So, um, so yeah. So that is the that is the mortifying story of Claire's lack of respect for human life. Amazing. <laughs> I, 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 also it's the hundreds, so there's a lot of noises going on, so sometimes they can sure. blend in with real life. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, I mean, like sometimes it's you know, sort of you like... never know when the gunshot on the show could have been in conjunction with something that was happening exactly. outside. Exactly, oh. exactly. Yeah. yeah, yeah, you're just sort of like, oh, gunshot. Well, you know, obviously everyone's shooting everyone all the time, so it's fine. <laughs> yeah. Obviously, it's on the TV. Right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> amazing guys, that is all the questions that we have for Claire, and it has been an amazing and I'm amazing four and a half hours of information that we've got and honestly we could have gone for another 10 if i didn't have to leave um, this has been amazing we've learned so much claire you love the lincoln memorial you know the, the, you're a you're a you're a caramel apple teeny girl <laughs> you know uh you know uh, you're, you're, aaron's patronus is a badger she loves jane austen she you know she 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 teaches uh, she hates uh hipster poets you know it's, it's, Great. We've learned. We've learned so much, and finally, people behind that listen to Metastation know the people behind Metastation. So when they're asking these questions, they can know what time zone you guys are in. When they do it. Right, exactly. <laughs> and they right. can know. They can know that Claire does not. <laughs> exactly, Claire. <laughs> if you're ever wondering if Claire, if Claire knows the time zone you're in, she does not. She does she not. Has no idea. Nope. I love it. Um, it's been great uh, uh, thank you for asking me to do this. this oh I had so much fun uh, it's always great talk, talking to you guys and I, uh, let's do it uh, every, let's do it every week <laughs> yeah, okay. absolutely I feel like we've gotten closer as friends I know I feel like we've really bonded What's funny? We got me and I feel like me and Claire have gotten closer, and Aaron, we were getting closer. And then you mentioned Firefly oh, and Buffy. Yeah, that's true. You know? I'm his favorite now. Uh, <laughs> well, so I can't I always, argue with I that. Always need a, I always need a TV project. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I gotta watch Charmed. Now, now we have like a pen pal relationship. I've gotta watch Charmed. You've gotta watch Buffy, and we've gotta like we've gotta we've gotta reconvene. Yes, yeah. I'll tell you, I. I, I I have to have my book finished in 47 days. So yeah. after that's done, I, this summer I will binge watch Buffy and I will, oh. I will send you all of my thoughts. And then when I'm done with <laughs> Buffy, I will return, I will revisit Firefly with Amazing. an open mind. Okay. And, okay. Yes. So I'll watch Charm. Do you watch Buffy? You watch Firefly. I'll read your book. Excellent. Excellent. Sounds good. Done. Done. Great. Oh, we have our summers on plan. Excellent. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I love summer vacay. <laughs> okay, guys. Right. Uh, thanks so much, Sachin. No You're the best. Pleasure. On that note, don't shock Lash Abbey, motherfucker. That's right. <laughs>